Hi guys, welcome back to A Different Life Story, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another day for a beautiful interview. I've got Joe Yui here. Joe beams in from the UK and she is originally a member of the Silent Generation. And with that, I don't mean the classic Silent Generation, those people born in the Second World War who uh, were very quiet about their experiences and their suffering. No, I mean the people that I call the Silent Generation in my book, uh, My Steps to Sobriety, those people who have been born into families of alcoholics. And these children often all share the, the, the same traits, the, the people pleasing, the being quiet, because they don't know what happens when they come home. How will mommy and daddy be? Um, but like so many of those people, Joe equally has transformed herself and has gone through a long, long, long journey and is now tenacious Joe, the, the dog with a bone, um, who is a very different girl than the quiet people-pleasing person. And that's the, the beautiful transformation that makes us unique. And that's why I felt so I need to speak to Joe. I need to figure out how she works, how she takes and you know, where things came from. So Joe, thank you so much for coming on to my show. It's a true honor. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> and no, Joe, it's, it's, it is beautiful. It is, uh, you are a very different person now than you have, than when you were a little child. Um, tell us a little bit. I mean, what were your dreams as a child? What, when you were a young girl, can you remember, what did you want to become? Oh, my goodness, that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> One I haven't thought about. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think, that, um, I think that it would have been something creative, for sure, because wow. I love to be creative. Um, I absolutely loved computers, though, and even at you know quite a young age, it was one of the presents that I, I remember asking for. <laughs> so um, I definitely had a love of technology, and to be honest with you, that hasn't really changed. I still love technology as an adult. So um, yeah, it could have been something in and around that. I think. <laughs> but uh, how was your how was your childhood there? Uh, you were. <sighs> What kind of alcoholics were your parents? Are you happy to talk um, about it? Yeah, I mean, my it was my dad that was the drinker in my life. Um, and I live with my mum and my older sister. And my dad was, you know, ex-army. He worked for the Ministry of Defence. He was a welder. Um, and he was a very strict dad. Um, he wasn't particularly present in my life you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and I spent quite a lot of time with my mum and my older sister. Yeah. But he he did hold down a job. He did that for many years until, you know, the drinking got the better of him and his employers let, let him go. Um, but he had a lot of his own struggles in life. And at that time, mental health wasn't anywhere near talked about like it is yeah. today. Um, and he would do the typical things that a lot of drinkers tend to do and isolated himself and, you know, just sort of sat in his car listening to music and didn't really participate in anything that we did as a family. You know, mm. even sitting down at the table for dinner, he wasn't often there or watching TV. It was very much me, my mum and my sister. And so when he did sort of join us, it felt really uncomfortable. It felt like, well, what are you doing here? Because he wasn't normally part of what, you know, our life. Um, and I think, you know, as a child, I felt a lot of isolation. I felt a lot of disconnection. I felt a lot of anxiety, although I didn't know that's what it was then. Felt very much on edge, mm. not knowing what his moods would be like, you know, when he comes home from work, is he going to be happy? Is he going to be sad? Is he going to be angry? What, what mood? And then, you know, I learned to adapt, I learned to adapt very quickly to, you know, how should I act today? 
and I think that there was, you know, and I experienced lots of physical and, you know, emotional abuse from him and the home environment that I lived in, I didn't feel very safe in, you know, we had lots of foreign students staying with us because we needed the money um, because he was spending a lot of money on alcohol. Mm. Um, and, um, and so it was a very, a, a very disruptive and difficult time for me um, by the time I was 16, my dad kicked me out of the house um, and I had to try and find somewhere to live. I was only working um, like part time as a waitress at the time and and studying at college. Um, thankfully, my older sister moved out and we shared a room together mm. locally. Um, and I also built up quite a lot of anger and resentment towards my mum, who was, you know, not the drinker because I felt she didn't protect me. She didn't stand by me. She didn't do things that I thought she should have done. And, and then I got to, you know, got older. I didn't really want to spend too much time with him. And then by the time I was coming up to my 21st birthday, two police officers came to my work to tell me that he'd passed away. Um, it was two months to the day, actually. And it's something that, you know, I not proud of how I dealt with it at the time. I kind of went into organizing mode, but even though I had a lot of hatred towards him, he was still the only dad that I had. And so um, after that time, you know, I decided it wasn't, wasn't too long after that, that I then realized I had some problems in my own relationships and things. And I, that's when I sort of started therapy basically, which continues to this day. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very, very difficult time of my life. And I know lots of people say, oh, you know, it's made me who I am today and I'll, I wouldn't change it. I don't feel like that at all. <laughs> I really don't. Um, and I know we, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I'd rather have a different life or whatever, but actually that life was awful. It was very traumatic and it had and still does have a huge impact on my adult life. It's interesting the, to, to listen to you. There is there is certainly still a degree of anger and resentment. Your voice pattern, uh, your speech pattern has changed. You're, there's some some emotions already coming out there. Mm. And it just shows what an impact the things have that happen in our childhood. Mm. And they are so fundamental in the programming of us yeah. which then and that programming causes our emotions which then guide our actions so it is it's strange i get goosebumps listening to you because part of the story sounds so familiar yet at the same token i'm so blessed or cursed that i have pushed these things aside I very rarely recognize them in my part, in my life. They are not causing me the resentment. Maybe they've been replaced with other things that I'm far more angry about and resentful about. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. What I find really, really, really cool is that at a very early stage, you sought help, you sought therapy. Now that is quite unique to your story. Because normally, um, the the children of, of alcoholics uh, tend to first give it a shot themselves. And that typically mm -hmm. can be a shot, literally, or mm -hmm. can be alcohol or can be mm -hmm. uh, things. Often the the circle repeats itself, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, how, how were you with alcohol? Um, I Yeah, I have never had an issue with alcohol. I... I think after my dad died, I went a couple of years where I didn't drink at all. Um, and then I sort of went back to it, but I've never really struggled with it. I think me, funnily enough, me and my older sister, um, we have, we created this little quiz just because I started to notice the differences between us, but also the similarities, but in terms of how they act and play out. So um, even though um, I, we, so we named it the rule abider and the rule breaker, and so basically most children of alcoholics will fit into one of those or a blend of the two. Mm. And so I'm definitely one that follows the rules, you know, does what, you know, I 
think that people want, blah, blah, blah. She's definitely, no, go the other way, break the rules, don't care, you know, all that kind of thing. And less self-control, whereas I'm very controlled. But she has elements of control in her, but it shows up in different ways. Um, and that was really interesting to see those differences between us. Mm. Um, and I think that it's something that other people, they've sort of done it and they've recognised the differences. Uh, mm. They've sort of said, oh, yeah, right, I resonate with the rule abider or I resonate with the <laughs> um, rule breaker. Um, and so she was very, she's the one that's actually developed a drinking problem and is now in recovery, um, whereas I was much more basically the reason that I, I think I went into therapy was because um and, and you could say that was my addiction for a number of years you know um was because the message that I got from my dad literally the words he said to me was when are you going to change when are you going to change and I heard that message regularly for years and that message says to me you're not okay as you are you are not okay. And so what were, may was, I ask, may I ask what were the things that were upsetting him about you? It, it, it could be anything the way something I've said, something I've done it, it, because he had very high standards and expectations, which I then have also developed. <clears throat> and again, it's been interesting because on reflection, I've wondered whether, you know, how much of this was his drinking influence and how much was just his personality. And that was what he was like because he was in the army. Obviously, mm. there was a sort of element of, you know, everything has to be just so and, and very controlling and, uh, and mm. regimented. Um, so some of it was just that was his his character, um, which I have also developed. Mm. But this constant message of when are you going to change? When are you going to help your mum more? When are you going to, you know, um, do what I say? It could have been anything, anything small. It doesn't necessarily was anything big, but I just felt totally inadequate. Uh, you know, I was not good enough. When I was, was not he, good enough for him. When was he born? Oh, um, ballpark. A so maybe eight. So he's been past about 24 years and he was 60 when he died. 60, so 84. 84 years ago. Right. So basically he was brought up. Uh, and, yeah, there's something like that, yeah. So basically his forming years were in the chaos of the war in uh, without... The, there would have been a lot of things he couldn't control. There were a lot mm. of things that were that were his demons. So therefore, get out of the chaos into something that he can control, which is the army. And then the pendulum swung all the way across there. So because you know it's... It's interesting because, funnily enough, it's timely of this interview because my sister, uh, today, I just went on a walk and she said that she had... She woke up at 4 a.m. as if she was just ready to get up at 8 o'clock. You know, she was that awake. And she she just had this, in a sense, awakening, um, this realisation. She said, Dad lost a son. I said, well, actually, he lost two sons, but I know what she was talking about. And he, she said, he lost a son. You know, it's no surprise that he went, you know, maybe to alcohol or something. And it was a real, she says, why am I only realizing this now? <laughs> it's just amazing. Because we are, we are, we are so focused on our own trauma that we necessarily don't necessarily see what is happening in others. We see their, their actions mm. and then get upset about these actions without understanding where or trying to understand where they have come from. It's yeah. not that your dad woke up one day and said, I'm going to be the meanest dad ever. I'm going to fuck up her life royally. No, he did the best that he could. I, I, I just stated like that. I assume he was not a psychopath, a sociopath, uh, probably the opposite, probably a man who who had gone through his his not just fair share, probably too much trauma in his own life, mm, and mm. then sought refuge in alcohol. Mm. So, because that's that's so important that we start realizing that, because there are bloody good reasons that we drink. Always. 
isn't yeah, it? Always, yeah. And, and I think that's the message I try and get out there to people because mm. even the families, you know, that I support, because you know they're obviously dealing with the consequences of somebody's actions. Um, and when you're in the midst of the drama and you're, um, in a sense, in your head, you're the victim of circumstance, you're, you know, the victim of someone's, a loved one's drinking, um, you've got a lot of anger and resentment and all of those kind of things that go on. And actually, family members don't really understand about alcohol misuse. I know it sounds really ironic, but they're living with someone with alcohol misuse, but they don't understand about it. They only understand about what they're experiencing. So I try to educate people around alcohol misuse and try and give people the other side and try and help the families to say, okay, well, what's, what's something that you couldn't do without? whether that's coffee, the gym, um, control particularly for them, blah, blah, blah. And then I say, okay, well, I'm going to ask you to give that up. How easy would you find that? But you're asking your drinker in your life to do that. That's exactly what you're expecting of them. And that's something you use to cope or to help you. Yeah. How hard or easy would that be for you? That's beautiful. That's a beautiful way to hold the, the mirror in front of their face. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there must Because be a lot the of parallels that. are just unbelievable, really, between the drinker and the family members. The parallels are there, but for different reasons, you know. We, we feel guilt just like they do. We feel shame just like they do. You know, we're trying to control things just like they do. We're finding our own coping strategies just like they are. And it's like we're sort of saying, well, you're the one with the problem. It's like, really? <laughs> well, you're the one you're the one that's got the um you're the one that's got the addiction to them they've got the addiction to the alcohol but you're addicted to them and you know this isn't said with judgment but let's like look at the situation be honest with ourselves and it's just you know we're all just trying to cope and survive in this world and we do that however oh. we can <laughs> there were never any truer words spoken than that were they not but that is something that is a journey that the family, the loved ones have to go through. And that realization, which is mm. just as painful as, mm. as the steps that the alcoholic goes through in rehab and, and, and tries to, to make sense of his and her mess. Uh, and, but it is often that the family that is left behind, uh, mm. that they're, they're just keeping the nose to the grindstone. They have no idea what's happening. Mm. Dad is in rehab and then comes back and is this new person. Whilst the people who, uh, who just kept going, trying to make ends meet, trying to, to deal with the daily micro traumas that are happening. And uh, then suddenly this, this new guy comes in uh, whom they don't trust, who they have no idea about, who speaks a new language who uh, comes up with all these ideas. And, and so it is so beautiful that you are focusing on those loved ones that are still hanging in there in their relationships with the addict, with the alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And wow. But there are so many things that, that, uh, that came out of, out of your words there. Firstly, there is, there is a genetic link between uh, or that that predisposes us alcoholics um, to to being mm. so much more responsive to it. So here you go. By definition, you will have some of these genetic uh, markers. You will be if I was to do an DNA analysis, I could probably find 10, 12 of the 50 or 100 that meanwhile are known out there yet here you are being a very different person. So mm. it does not really necessarily matter if you have got a genetic predisposition, yes or no, because in, in your life, you've learned different lessons. Mm. And that is so mm. beautiful. Mm. So therefore, I want to give hope already to those out there who look mm. at their own family and think, oh my God, my mom was an alcoholic. I'm going to be an alcoholic, no doubt about it. Mm. Well, no. I mean, there, I mean, we could have a chat on that whole topic by itself. Um, Gabor Mate, who is an addiction specialist, um, says it isn't genetic. He says that there's people that are 
like you say, predisposed, but then that could be because they've had parents that have been drinkers and their parents have been drinkers. So mm. you could say it's down to the environment that they've lived in and the susceptibility of that person, because, you know, if they haven't had good attachment and authenticity as children, um, then, you know, it will develop. And, and, and interestingly, whilst my dad was was the drinker, I am his 100% his daughter, but my sister who's drink al- got an alcohol problem isn't. She's my half-sister, yet she developed the drink problem. So <laughs> that's not actually her dad by blood. Uh, <laughs> but then again, it would, uh, we don't know her. I don't know her, her lineage. Um, no. So, but I'm, I'm trying but, uh, to... Yeah, that's an interesting, an interesting yeah. uh, <laughs> one for discussion. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and that's, I, I guess... Guys uh, out there, viewers, listeners, I uh, want to reassure you that the power is in your hands. You don't realize mm, sure. it. You are writing the next chapter in this story. Mm. So whatever kind of cover the book is that you have been given called life, mm. uh, it doesn't actually matter too much if you start taking control taking control yeah. of little things and suddenly wow mm, i mean my, my boys i've got two boys which are gorgeous young men and uh, they most definitely have the same genes uh, i am their dad i know that and they they will have a higher susceptibility to uh, the dopamine rush that comes with uh, drugs and alcohol Yet, I can virtually guarantee that they will not become alcoholics because they have seen me at my worst. They have also seen me at my best. They have seen me changing. They've seen the phoenix rising. They've seen the transformation. And they have learned with me these kind of lessons. I have taught them over the last seven years by example to deal with emotions to try to analyze them, to try to, to, to think what's really going on, the mindfulness, mm-hmm. the stepping out of yourself rather than reacting to something that may or may not be true or that may or may not have been said in the way that I understood it, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, past- I think it is really important for people to know that there is hope and that you mm-hmm. can make changes. And for sure, you know, some of the things I've learned in over 24 years of self-development has been about the stories that we tell ourselves. And actually, you know, it's sad to say, but, you know, what your parents told you wasn't always necessarily factual, mm-hmm. um, you know. But unfortunately, as children and the fact that they're your parents, you believe them. Um, but the trouble with that is you believe something that was never factual in the first place and then it's affecting you as an adult. Um, so, you know, if your parent told you you were fat and ugly and you as an adult still believe you're fat and ugly, but actually that was your own parents' uh, misgivings in in that whatever their beliefs were, maybe those beliefs came from their parents and, you know, it's that, you know, gets passed on and and it's it's really sad because we sometimes people don't think to question anything. They just take what is and they just go through their life thinking this is my this is my um, life and this is what I have to just accept and that's what is. This is who I am. But sometimes I think people use that as an excuse because it's easier to do that than to come out of their comfort zone and to start to look at themselves <laughs> and to start to think actually. I know this comfort zone, it's really comfy and it's really familiar. No matter how crap it is, I still prefer to be here than step outside this comfort zone and go into a space which involves some effort on my part in terms of looking at my stuff. Um, and sometimes people just don't want to take that ownership and they want to blame other people for what's happened to them and oh, yeah. stay in this place of victim, which you know is totally somebody's prerogative they have got that choice they can absolutely do that if that's the life they want for themselves but I truly don't believe that would be a life someone would want for themselves I believe that people want to have a purpose they want to be heard they want to be valued they want to be loved and you know if you want to get that you need to start going inwards and start looking at yourself and you know developing yourself otherwise nothing's going to change I loved it I absolutely loved it and I couldn't agree more with you and but it takes balls. It takes it. it also takes insight. So mm-hmm. if you 
if you don't see that something is wrong, if you do not expose yourself to the thoughts that maybe, just maybe, I have a role to play in what is happening. Look what they have done to me, the government and my workplace and them and those people. Uh, it's quite common out there, isn't it? Yeah, in in various sure. degrees. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, in the group that I run, I, I and, and when I generally speak to clients and people, I just say, like, get curious, not critical. Mm. You know, if you're, if you're someone's triggered you in some way, if someone's really annoyed you, it's like, I wonder why I'm feeling like this, you know, I wonder why that, rather than, oh, God, that person, this, that person, that, or focusing it on ourselves, saying, I'm so such an idiot, I've done this wrong and I shouldn't have done that. So it's much better if we can get curious with it mm. rather than getting critical because that just adds fuel to the fire. Um, so I think that that's really important for people to remember and to know. But you're right, there's a lot of people out there that don't realise and don't have that insight and don't maybe question stuff. They don't realise that the issues that they're struggling with in the present have got anything to do with their past. They don't make that connection at all. Um, and often, often enough, it is as simple as just analyzing your immediate six hours past or eight hours. You know, yeah. are you hungry, angry, lonely, mm -hmm. tired, halt, which are yeah. the, the, the big triggers for me? You know, if I'm hungry, I haven't rehydrated, I had a maybe not such a nice day at work and things went wrong and here and there and everywhere. Well, mm -hmm. hungry, angry, lonely, tired, give me three of them and suddenly... I might fit well in the past I would have thought about mm. a glass of wine and this would have been wow that that would have been like a like something that appears like a genie out of out of thin yeah. air it would be there I couldn't <laughs> really touch it kind of thing and yeah. that is the that is the reality that is and give me four of them if I'm then mm. tired and give me everything far out I want mm. that drink so nowadays it actually I'm, I'm realizing so much earlier before even the, the thought of that drink could ever reach my head, my consciousness. So it's beautiful. But that took me, what, seven years now to, of, of, of self-development um, to, to, again, getting faster and faster and faster with this, hey, I'm angry. What's going on? Okay. Why I am, am I angry? Why do I feel like that? Because the idiot in front of you is really driving like a beep. That's cool. Then he's an idiot. Okay. Just rein it in a bit. Come on. Yes, he's an asshole. But hey, is it really worth it? So that's that's one response. Or you might say, actually, he was driving normal. So what's going on? And so that that's one thing. But there's that's just the immediate immediate kind of reptilian brain you are mm. talking about a far deeper deeper going issue what has mm. been the programming why yeah. are we feeling like that mm. why is this person that demands a very high standard at work is giving you ah you could just put a knife in his chest mm. well okay did your dad demand that high standard did you yeah, always... that, have I heard this before? Have I felt this before? You know, have I seen this before? Those questions are really helpful because obviously it can then remind you if somebody's, you know, speaking to you in a way you don't like or whatever, it's like, well, have I heard this tone before? Yeah, I have. Where? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can make the connection. But I think that's why, you know, I do what I do, because I want to kind of, in a way, shortcut people to the things that I know that have helped me. Mm -hmm. And I think if they're, they have very similar characteristics to me, then it's likely that it will help them as well. Mm. So true, Joe. So true. And that's, the, that's one of the reasons that I bring people like you on, to learn from your own experiences, but also to show others, here, guys, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to start from scratch in your own own journey of self-discovery. Maybe you can skip a few steps by actually learning from others. Create the team where you are the stupidest member of that team, okay? Mm -hmm. Just as much as if you were starting to, I don't know, build a restaurant or uh, get into property investing. 
you want to have people around you who know so much more about those things. <laughs> it's not clever that you know a little bit and you are the boss and you mm. know most of everyone. Uh, that doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> that that's the reason you ended up in the shit in the in the first place with, with <laughs> believing that you know and believing that you are you are it. You you I I, I know everything. Yeah, it's right. Mm. I mean, here, here I am a doctor. I there's probably not so much about alcohol that I didn't know from a factual basis. Mm. Yet, was I drinking like a fish to treat my trauma, to to treat my my raw emotions, my desperation, mm. my frustration, my shame, my guilt? Yes, of course, because I had no idea what was really going on, what mm. was driving me, why I behaved the way I was behaving. So it is. It has nothing to do with how clever you are or how how successful you are in this world. Mm. It no. doesn't matter. Okay, mm. we are all quite a mess, and and the sooner we can recognize that, the better. And yeah, the and I think that it's the you know I guess the way that I try and help people with that is to ask the questions because when you ask questions, people have to go inside and consider what question you've just asked them and they have to think about it they've got to process it and it's so much more valuable when it comes from them you know and I think you know in my group I've I've said some things before and I remember this woman saying that's very clever she'd re she realized what I was trying to help her to see um and she's I think she was talking about you know I've really helped my alcoholic you know and I've basically cared for them until their death sort of thing and I don't want to get old because I don't want somebody to have to look after me till you know till an old age type thing and I can't remember the, what I said to her but she sort of recognized um that maybe her beliefs weren't very helpful to her so it but it, it was a question that she had to go and think about and she came up with her own answer. Mm. It wasn't me saying, well, you need to do this, you need to do that, blah, blah, blah. Or this is what's going on or whatever. But I just asked some questions and mm. so she had to process it. Um, and I think that when we, you know, put questions out there, so, you know, do you find that you're always sort of saying yes to people and then you get fed up after a while because you, you know, feel like they don't reciprocate it or, you know, you sort of, do you ever feel a bit inadequate when you're around people in authority um, and, you know, put certain people on pedestals? Because people can relate to that stuff. And it's like, well, you know, have you ever lived with somebody's drinking? And those questions are like, well, yeah. And it's like, well, maybe the fact you've lived with someone's drinking is why you're experiencing these issues now. Um, and it's trying to help them to kind of put the dots together, really. And that is so powerful, isn't it? That, that realisation... It is uh, two, three years ago now, uh, a friend of mine went through a bout of nasty PTSD. And to cut a long story short, he, he found help and was very quickly, was getting better. And I thought, nah, I don't believe that. Come on, I don't believe what you're telling me there to him. And because here he was with... And in my mind, I ran down a, a checklist of PTSD, uh, signs and symptoms. And the moment I ran through, I realized, shit, I'm ticking all of them. Uh, and I realized I had my own trauma there that I had not recognized. So that was the first insight. I then saw the person that had helped him so dramatically to get better. And this person was doing exactly that. She was asking me questions. And, but the questions were guiding me in such a powerful way that already in the first interview, I had put all the links together. And I thought, shit, no mm. surprise mm. that I wake up at three o'clock in the morning, hypervigilant, that I am that I'm very good in, in crisis management because oh, I'm yeah. so switched on. Yeah. I'm so... And that's that's great. So make me a good doctor. But at the same token, I still wake up at three o'clock in the morning and thinking about everything that has ever gone wrong in my life. And you think, oh, come on, for Christ's sake. Mm. But here it was asking the right questions. That mm. was the most powerful thing this woman could have done. Plus then unscrambling my brain with hypnosis. Mm. Um, mm. But three sessions and my PTSD was a thing of the past. How bloody lucky was I to actually have found a person who was asking the right questions? Because yeah. that 
make me work, make me think, I got it quickly, I'm so much better. But also the person's got to be ready to let it go. And some people mm. want to hold on to it and they don't want to, because, you know, however weird that might sound, it's their familiar, it's, it's mm. a comfort in a way because it's what they know. Mm. And, you know, who am I going to be without this? Because mm. I don't know who I'm going to be without this because I've had it for, you know, this is, you know, what's given me comfort or feeling of safety or attention or whatever it might have been. Mm. So some people can be quite resistant to it through fear or all sorts of things. So it's good that, you know, you were able to let that, let that go and you were ready to do that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that you say there. I mean, after all, I mean, when you look at alcohol, 95% of alcoholics will swear on the Bible and on their heart there's nothing wrong with them, okay? 95%. So the denial is actually part and parcel mm. of being an alcoholic or being an addict. We know it deep inside, but our our construct up there is trying to convince us left right and center that absolutely everything is all right and it's so much easier to blame others to live at this constant pity party is is actually easy you don't have to to face the stark reality mm. the real the naked truth so to speak yeah. so you're right so how do you how do you deal with people who let's say you come across someone who is actually a close friend who is someone who you are invested in. It's not a client, but you mm -hmm. see they're so caught up in their own pity party that that it hurts. They haven't done that yet. They haven't made the realization yet. Mm. What would you do if this was a friend? Um, I think that I usually will understand, obviously, a little bit about what's going on. And then I try to get them to consider possibilities so um you know they might say um my husband you know comes home and he never shows me any affection blah 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 and I say okay do you think it's possible that he doesn't show you affection but he still loves you um and it's a way of getting them to think in a different way I'm, I'm always trying to get people to change their perspectives and look at things from a different perspective mm. um and it's trying to get them to realize that just because they might not come home and give them a hug doesn't mean they don't love mm. love them. And it's like A doesn't equals B. Mm. Um, and so it's trying to get them to see it from a different perspective. But also, as I said to you, I'm like a dog with a bone. So I will always push people probably past the point they're comfortable with. But it's because I know <laughs> that they are because I listen to what they say they want. And when they are really in a place where they express what it is they want, that's what I hold on to. And so I basically will do anything to help them get there, whether that is pushing them a bit because, you know, if they give me all the rubbish excuses, you know, I'll, I'll call them, I'll call them out on it. Um, and and say whose responsibility do you think that is um it just depends really on the scenario yeah. i kind of do it as i kind of do it intuitively um so it's kind of difficult sometimes to explain how i work but i i definitely use neurolinguistic programming in my conversations with people i yeah. use lots of visualizations and things like that um, but often I will try and focus the person on self, you know, on themselves in terms of their part in this conversation, this, their part in the situation. Um, and, and qu again, question them, you know, about their, because uh, most of the things come down to our values and beliefs mm. and I'll question them about that belief. And, you know, where did that come from? You know, um, and, and do they still believe that to be true mm. or is that, something they've learned from their parents or teacher or somebody um and then they're like oh yeah well i hadn't thought of it i often get oh i haven't thought of it like that and how powerful is that how mm. powerful is that that you come to the point where you recognize why you are developing emotions the way you do and that is such it's such a liberating thing, such a such a freedom suddenly, mm. because you have got now a choice. Do you want to continue like that? And there might be benefits to do that. 
you might, for reasons whatsoever, that works for you. Or you think for the time being, at least, it works for you. But you suddenly have got that awareness. There is this choice. And once you have got a choice, you can take action. And that is a double-edged sword because the moment you take action, you have to recognize, well, you've taken action, so now you have to live with the consequences. Okay? So if suddenly you are becoming this beautiful new person, that's on you. Well done. If you suddenly become really angry because you have got a realization of what really happened in your childhood and your relationship is suddenly on the fritz because of mm. you being an angry bastard or a bitch, mm. well, that's also on you. So it is, it, it, there's not just, not just beautiful rainbows and, and roses mm. and things waiting yeah. on, the, on, the, on the road to recovery. Uh, mm. The moment you do self-development, Bloody hell, there are tears, there are frustrations, there's anger, there's the gamut Mm. of emotions is waiting for you. But I think it's about helping people recognize that it's okay to have those emotions. And although although they feel uncomfortable, it doesn't mean it's wrong. And Mm. I think that because everyone's trying to numb their feelings by all sorts of other ways, including alcohol, um, it's this whole sense, well, I can't allow myself to feel anything. And I think that if people um, were confident that they could be held and supported through the process of change in whatever degree, that is for them then maybe they'd be a little bit more open to doing it but a lot of people find or feel maybe feel that they have to go through it by themselves or with very little support and so that is daunting and it would stop somebody wanting to make those changes and I think that you know when I you know when I do try and help somebody I'm always getting them to reflect back or I'm reflecting back what I hear so I say well what I've heard you say is this you've also said you want this and and it creates a disparity and and it's trying to get them to recognize that there's part and and you've you know I'm sure your listeners and you know you've heard the saying you know part of me wants this and part of me wants that and there's this you know NLP technique called parts integration and, and you bring those two parts together but you you understand the the benefit or the intention of both parts because actually these both parts are part of you and it's like well what's the positive intention of this one and what's the positive intention of that one and let's bring them both together um, and recognize you know what is it you know you're fearful but you want to do it so let's identify that so there's lots of sort of ways you can get people to start again changing their perception and getting them to see things that they might not have before and again we're talking about the programming here because we have been force fed in the last two generations that you have to be young fit cool you have to look a certain way you be there's always smiley always show your best side that's you know this is my my favorite kind of (laughs) i'm I'm sure there are girls out there who have only one side of a face because it's i've only ever seen (laughs) and but you have to look like that Every day you have to be in control, you have to be beautiful, you have to be full of, mm. full of, wow, yeah, that's me, look, I'm so happy. Bullshit, there's no way that you yeah. can ever do that in your life. It's normal to have blue days. Mm. It is normal that you just want to roll up on the couch in, in a fetal position and feel sorry for yourself. Mm. That is, that's part of life. And yeah, it's that recognition definitely. that that you can give, that you have to give yourself permission at times to feel that way. Mm. It might just have yeah. been that you do, you actually burnt a candle again on both ends, plus in the middle mm. on a few places. Mm. And your body is just saying, oi, I need a break. I need enough is enough. Or against against all all your your best intentions life has thrown you so much shit that Mm. actually quite rightly so you are down and out and it's time to stop and lick your wounds and maybe feel sorry for yourself and then you can dust yourself off and get Mm. back up but Mm. give yourself the permission Mm. to be authentic I, t- I talk about that a lot, you know, it's about, I, and I spend a lot of time with my clients giving them permission to, f- and not in a weird way, but just to say, it's all right that you hate your parents. 
if that's how you feel like we can only work with what we've got Mm. and a lot of people will feel a lot of shame around how they feel or whatever but that's how they feel and the more you try and deny how you feel the worse it will get and and one thing to remember for people to remember is there is no permanence to anything apart from death obviously but there's no permanence um, you know, and we feel these uncomfortable feelings, but they pass, you know, we make a decision and it might be the wrong decision, but then we can make another one. And, you know, we, we can empower ourselves if we want to, or we can stay in this place of victim and say how awful my life is, but which one, you know, is going to take you forward and into a, a much more lighter energy rather than a heavier energy, which is one that's, of of a victim's sort of place and we're feeling sorry for ourselves it's actually a more positive place to move to is you know empowering ourselves and and I know that might seem really hard for some people especially when you're you know suffering with depression and you're in a really tough place but everything is you know you don't have to jump from here to there overnight it's a process and it takes time and people need patience, um, you know, and to give themselves the time and the space, like you say, to be angry, be whatever you need to be, but then pick yourself up and move on in whichever way you can and surrounding yourself with people that are going to help you do that and letting go of the people that aren't. Oh, so important, isn't it? And it's that it's that surrounding yourself with that energy that you want to attract, that energy that you want to be. It is, I've had recently, I mean, the start of 2021 was so much better than 2020. And uh, it started off with a nice few days. And then thereafter, it went for me, (laughs) crash and burn. And I was not in a good place. And Mm. over the last week, two, I was able to actually come out of that emotional hole and actually really step by step, literally force myself to take final, finalized little tiny baby steps and say, wow, I've taken that step. You Today you've eaten really healthy, well done you. Or today you've actually eaten a lot of things that were not so good, but you actually took action you actually gave yourself the permission. I gave myself the permission not to feel guilty about having a pizza. And Mm. guess what? The pizza felt really good. I tasted Mm. really good. Yummy. And (laughs) suddenly uh, you turn something, not, oh my God, I'm fat, I've eaten another pizza. No, I actually say, thank you. This was a really nice pizza. And Mm. now I go for a walk with my dog. Or now Mm. I do that. Now I do that. I take action. I took Mm. action. So it was not Mm. just, it was, I stopped feeling sorry for myself and started taking action it was the tiny little steps and i it was like an avalanche that mm. sort of started to come down the mountain because very snowball i threw um there was there was something else happening so mm. there was an accumulative effect and and mm. it is it is beautiful and you see a smile on my face because mm. i very vividly remember you know a month ago or even a fortnight ago i was quite dark um, and here I am today, different, distinctly different. But it took, it took, it was painful to realize what was going on. Mm-hmm. I like to be the bouncy guy who's always cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Hey, that's me. That's why I drink coffee, for Christ's sake, coffee, coffee, coffee. Um, <laughs> my own addiction nowadays. But it is, you have to admit that there are times that are not so good accept it and that's the time when you roll with the punches lick your wounds dust yourself off and it's not permanent no and i think that there's this element of you know in a sense hopefully as well we get to a place of prevention you know where we start to recognize those triggers way before we get to the point where we're in a dark place Mm. and you know we're then a month in and we're having to drag ourselves out of it but actually to start recognizing am I starting to let myself care go am I starting to isolate myself you know Mm. what what is am I starting to not eat so good Mm. you know am I starting to not like do the exercise am I kind of cancelling arrangements you know what is going on before we actually get to the place where it's like I heard a saying, it was a lady from um, uh, one of the sober communities and um, she said, let's not make our life 
our future life more difficult for ourselves. So by the decisions we're making today, let's not make it more difficult for ourselves in the future. And I thought mm. that's beautiful. I loved it. And um, club soda, that was it. And um, she, you know, I thought that's really good. So like, and that could be, you know, my eating the stuff today that's going to make my life more difficult for the future mm. where I'm going to have to lose it all. Mm. Um, but I think it's important to start looking at, you know, our behaviours to then like notice those triggers, that, you know, or, I'm going down a road where I might end up in a not great place, but also not compounding it by giving ourselves a hard time when we are there. Mm. And like you say, just giving yourself permission to say, okay, yeah, I had a pizza today and let's not write off the whole day with something that's just happened in the morning. That really annoys me when people say they've just had something happen in the morning. I don't know. Some like the postman's turned up and it's an inconvenience or something. And they're like, Oh, my day's ruined already. Hang on a minute. That happens. It took five minutes and now you're writing off the whole of the day. It's just <laughs> baffles me. It's like, no, let's get a bit more accurate. You've just had a bad five minutes. <laughs> but at the same token, uh, if you have, if that thought comes to you and say, ah, oh, this is a really bad day, take that as a sign. Take that as a symptom. There is something not right in you. So mm. the sheer fact that you have got that thought Hello, alarm bells going, ding, ding, ding. And that's where the prevention comes in. So the moment you you get these kind of feelings, take them as a gift. <laughs> take them as a, as a, ooh, your body is trying yeah. to tell you something here. You have, you know, you've pushed mm. yourself too much or whatever yeah, it is that exactly. has brought you to that space. Yeah, so, get curious with it. Exactly. Curious, as I say, not critical. Just get curious with it and be like, oh, exactly. right in off the day already. It's like 8 a.m. <laughs> exactly exactly how cool is that see that's the power that's the power guys this is this is not this is actually this is such powerful stuff that that joe and i have realized over some years and come now to the point where where we are standing here and and and, and are sharing that with you guys because it was such a revelation for us because we have been in the same dark places as you have, guys. The, the reason that you listeners are, are listening to this podcast, well, there is, <laughs> my educated guess is there's something not so nice in your life. But here, here look at us, Joe and me, two numbnuts who... who <laughs> Speak for <laughs> yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. And, and so humble. And so humble. <laughs> No, it is. We are all we are all messed up, but you have a choice how you let that messed up dictate the rest of your life. You every single moment you've got a choice. Right now you're choosing to listen to this interview, and I congratulate you to to actually have hung in there, and, and hopefully you had a, a few insightful moments and and a few chuckles yourself, because this is this is life. This is life. We are we are. We're broken, we're a mess, but we're we are powerful because we can put that mess to use. We can say, okay, these are the cards that, that have been given to us. This is the way we have played them this far. Okay, these benefits, not so nice things from that. But now we have got a choice. Do we want to continue in that mold or do you want to break that mold? Hey, what will you do, guys? What will you do? So if you out there are for, hmm, actually, this Joe person, hmm, she has something there. So Joe, how can they get hold of you? What are sort of ways that you can help them? Well, I think because my name's quite unusual, if you just Google Joe Huey, it will bring you up with lots of like articles and interviews and my website. But my website's joehuey.co.uk. Um, I support, I specifically help families um, that are affected by someone's drinking, whether that's now or in the past. And I specialize in helping daughters of alcoholics. So if you are listening and, and you are the daughter of a drinker, again, whether they're active or not, you can join my Daughters of Alcoholics group on Facebook. And it is a beautiful group. It's very supportive. It's very positive, And we're all there to help you, to comfort you. Um, and so that you don't feel alone. Um, and for anyone that's interested, I do have a book that I've written called Transition, which is all about living with my dad's 
drinking. Um, So this is available on Amazon and also on Kindle. So anybody that wants to have a read of that, and it's got lots of self-help tips, things about alcohol misuse, kind of, and my story as well, and kind of what I've learned over my entire life. So... You show me yours, I show you mine. <laughs> my, my, my steps to sobriety. A very, uh, a, actually, I could use the same words as you have mm. just chosen, based upon my story and based upon the, the lessons that I've learned, both as a doctor and as an alcoholic and in recovery now. Um, so it, there are many, many lessons in there. So if you guys want to have a condensed version of all the interviews and all my, the, the things that I have, I have given out there, uh, on shows, just buy the book and just have it, have a bit of a nosy and, and have a bit of a look. So transition. So two books, it's Easter. If you want to give something to a family member, to friends, do a bulk order of transition and my <laughs> steps to sobriety, go for it. Okay? <laughs> and whilst you're there, you might as well press the subscribe button down there uh, and maybe leave a review uh, on the podcast or on the YouTube. Uh, be outspoken. Take take leadership to, uh, and say, okay, that was really cool. I really like that. Or, hey guys, uh, I've got an idea of collaboration. Um, you have made my, you've opened my eyes, and you know, whatever. Get in touch. <laughs> Get in touch. Joe is there. She is waiting. She is she is a ball of energy uh, <laughs> due to her own her own transformation. Her, you know, it is. Uh, it is so beautiful to have someone like you coming into one's life because you're opening eyes, you're asking the questions, you're you're helping others, and you are tenacious enough. You are the dog with a bone because you care, and that's mm. so beautiful. You're not alone out there, guys. There are people you can engage with, mm. and that is that is Joe's mission. That was her vision. That was her dream once upon a time. That was that little baby idea in the shower. And that slowly evolved into the life that she is living now. And that sequence of things could be your life, guys. You could be one day in a position that you have got quite a few of your ducks in a row. There will always be the one duck that is somewhere running away. That's life, okay? But to have some of them in a row, now that's that's a bit better than having, uh, I don't know, squirrels on a rave party, which <laughs> tends to be most lives, okay? So, guys, there is, there is hope. And I think that is the one key message that I want to send out to you. However it mm. feels at the moment to you, it is not as dark as your brain tells you that it is. Mm. And even if it is rather bloody dark, that doesn't mean to say that just if you were to wait one little second, one little day, one little week, and do that one little tiny baby step of action, that not suddenly somewhere a light goes on. Might be a tiny little candle in the distance, or it might soon be a bonfire that lights up the night. It is to a certain degree up to you. You need to make the call. You need to make the stand of saying, actually enough is enough. Let's start a new journey. Let's turn over a leaf and and create a new life. And that's what I encourage you to do. The past does not equal the future. You are in response. Get in touch with Joe, get in touch with others, read our books, see what we have done and then move on. Life's the short. You can do it, guys. You can do it. I believe yeah, in you. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Joe, I'm so grateful for you to have come on my show. You are an amazing woman, and it's beautiful to see your efforts, and it's beautiful to see you doing the, the work that you're doing. Uh, I've got somehow the feeling that this is not the last time that I've got you on my show, uh, <laughs> and that we might keep working together in the future to make this life just that little bit better, uh, mm-hmm. at least in our in our little spheres mm-hmm. of influence. Yeah, if there's one, 
if there's one parting thought, or maybe, maybe let me ask you a question. If you could go back in time and uh, send your, your younger self a message, what message would you send her? Uh, listen to yourself. 100% listen to yourself. Trust your gut instinct without a shadow of a doubt. Nice, nice. Cool. Joe, it was an honor to have you had on my show. Thank you so much. It was Absolutely. brilliant. <laughs> look after yourself. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Make this a beautiful day to remember. Bye. Bye. <laughs>